Today on the podcast, I had the honor of sitting down with Brie Olson. You guys might remember her as one of Charlie Sheen's girlfriends um, at the time period in his life where he was having a very public meltdown. It turned out that Charlie Sheen was HIV positive and Brie had no idea about it. So now, not only was she having to deal with the very real news that her partner lied to her about his status, but it was also affecting her work life in the porn industry. And so this is a really, I thought, riveting and amazing interview. I'm so grateful that Brie decided to come on, you guys. Her story is a story of survival, um, and she owns it, um, coming from a background that was really traumatic as a child, and um, even going into a juvenile correctional facility for several years of her life, coming out of that, going into the porn industry, what that was like for her, the entire Charlie Sheen experience, and where she's at now. We are covering it all, you guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering From Reality. I find you so interesting, and we talked a little bit on the phone before we started recording. Um, You just seem like someone that is so resilient and so self-assured, and it's something that I I really admire. Um, So I'm looking forward to getting to know you a bit. Thank you so much. I wouldn't expect that from (laughs) your photo, just even your photo of you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trash to her. Oh no. Oh my God. No. Oh my God. Do you know my history? I I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, um, do you remember the bling ring? No. Okay. So I had a reality television show and the entire time I was an IV heroin addict and it was on E! And it was like a crunchy version, like a holistic, like crunchy spiritual version of the Kardashians. And I got arrested on the second day of filming for this thing called the Bling Ring. The Bling Ring was a group of teenagers that were robbing celebrities. And I basically burnt my life down to the ground in a very, very public way. Um, and I was like, I was trashed through the tabloids and I was 18 years old when it all happened so I was just a child and now I'm eight years sober and I advocate for mental health and addiction and for people overcoming trauma and traumatic situations and how we do it and giving people kind of stories of survival and we have experts on as well and so um, I created recovering from reality as a space where we could collectively heal so I don't see you as anything but like a beautiful individual and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about like your childhood and your life growing up? Um, Sure. Uh, Let's see. Uh, My mom was schizophrenic. Mm. She was not diagnosed until I was an adult. Um, So I dealt with every kind of sexual like physical, emotional abuse, you can imagine in that aspect. Um, I 
finally fought back when I was 11. Um, she was very happy to call the authorities on me. And that is when my strings of juvenile lockup began. And I would have caseworkers talk with me and try to get it out of me what's going on at home. But I was too scared to tell them because I knew about the foster system. I knew kids in the foster system and I figured what I was going through was better than the unknown of what could happen. So I just continued that cycle and I ended up getting put away for about three years. And um, then I remained in the system, whether it was probation, parole, what have you until my 18th birthday. Um, and what else? So then, yeah, so then I'm 18. I moved out of the house as soon as I could. I was uh, late 15 when I moved out, got my GED, started right away with college because by that I was way too behind in school. Like the school, you know, in lockup doesn't count, count towards high school credits. So I was really behind and um, I, I was in this uh, like alternative school where there was literally six students there and I was scoring, you know, 120% on everything on, on all my end grades. And he was like, you are a great student. You should just honestly get your GED because you're too far behind and you'll do great in college. So then I went to college and it was just really hard. I always had, you know, full-time job, like two full-time jobs. I worked 80 hours a week, Plus, I was going to school, pre-med biology at Purdue, and it was just really a difficult life. I had a live-in roommate that was a male. He ended up beating me several times, and we were not together, um, but he just got really controlling, and I kept not leaving because even though I paid rent, it was still less than what I, I could do on my own, and I didn't have credit. You know how it goes. I do. And so... Yeah. Yeah, so I, I stayed in it until, you know, and the police kept telling me, they're like, he's going to kill you if you don't leave. Because, you know, the cop, I kept calling them. And finally, the last time I was covered head to toe, blood all over, bruises everywhere. Um, and that time, you know, I ended up pressing charges. He didn't get caught till like two years later. And it was actually really cool. The victim's assistants called me and I got to choose what his like whether he went to prison or whether he got classes and so forth. So that was like really empowering and like kudos to the Fort Wayne, Indiana, like mm. police department situation for like giving victims that choice. Yeah. Um, May I ask but what so you when, chose? What was that? May I ask what you chose? I chose for him to, <clears throat> because since I personally know him, I chose for him to do the classes because I asked how much they were. And he was such a tightwad. I mean, <laughs> money meant everything to this guy. And when they told me how much those classes would cost and how long he'd have to take them and all the fines he'd have to pay, I'm like that he would have chose, you know, his uh, six months in jail any day over all yeah. of that. So I, I it was a ridiculous amount of money. And I'm like, OK, give him that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I thought it would hit them harder and I'm sure it did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so the people, you know, when they hear the initial, but you have to know like how he is with money kind of thing. Um, so then that put me in a situation where I'm now living in a hotel. So I'm living in a hotel with this kitten um, that I had just up until she just passed away last year. Um, but I, I had this kitten in me in this hotel room and I'm still going to school and work all these jobs like nothing is wrong and a hotel is very expensive to live in and I was like there has to be a way <clears throat> out of this situation like there has to be something I can do and that's when I I don't know just like porn crossed my mind and I went and I tried to work at strip clubs and I would call and then I would um like chicken out and not show up so I didn't have any experience in any of that and then I put up a profile on this website basically saying I wanted to try porn. <clears throat> I got all these calls from these dudes and I was like, okay, never mind. I changed my mind. And then I finally got a call from this girl that said, come out and shoot for Playboy. I mean, it was trickery. They're, they basically uh, take naive girls and like the Midwest or what have you and tell them that they're going to be in Playboy. They bring them out and they pretend to test shoot them. And then they say, well, while you're here, uh, would you yeah. mind doing a girl girl <laughs> scene or this or that? And so they slowly like worked me up, you know, and I had a, I had a girlfriend all throughout high school. Um, so I was like, OK, a girl girl scene, no big deal. And <laughs> so and, and by when I say high school, I mean my high school years. Yeah. Um, so uh, with with all that, I was like, OK, I'll do a girl girl scene. And then they're like, well, OK, well, will you do a scene with this, you know, 21 year old guy? I'm like, oh, he's cute and handsome. OK, why not? And then it grew from there. I thought I quickly realized how much they were taking advantage of me. And then I ended up switching to an agent in L.A., dropped out of college and, you know, quit my other jobs. And there you go. The lifestyle is very seductive. And I think that people don't realize that for so many people who didn't come for money, I didn't come for money. And then all of a sudden I got the show and I had tons of money. And you kind of become, and, and this is just my experience and correct me if I'm wrong, but the money starts rolling in and you're like, oh, this is nice. And now I can, um, you know take care of myself in a way that I wasn't able to be you know doing before and I don't have to rely on people and things like that I don't know I don't know if that resonates to you but that that was definitely my experience I would share cans of ravioli with my dad growing up and mm -hmm. I would you know go to my room crying of how hungry I was mm -hmm. there are times that I would eat grass and dandelions outside just to fill my stomach so when I I'm like gonna cry like mm. when when I got enough money that I could eat whenever I wanted to and that was from porn yeah. and so you know I'm not gonna glorify it I'm not gonna say oh it's a great choice people should do it I'm not gonna say that because there are serious repercussions to doing that. The things that you'll have to face for the rest of your life in society, having children, etc. But it literally was the first time that I was able to eat anything I wanted, anytime I wanted to. Mm. 
Wow. Yeah, I really, really, really feel that. Um, we, I grew up with a family that struggled, um, especially during that huge recession in 2008. And there was a period when we were on food stamps and my dad was homeless for a lot of my childhood because of his own addiction issues. And um, I so know that... Um, that feeling when the money starts rolling in and you're like, oh my God, the fr the freedom of this. And this is what it's like to live. Like, that's just what I kept telling myself, even though I ended up blowing it all and losing everything and ending up in jail and having no money and no credit and having to rebuild my whole life. It was like, at that time period, it's like, okay, whatever this is, I'm just going to keep doing it. Even if it means that I have to like sacrifice my soul to do this because this feels good. You know, it feels, it feels like normal all of a sudden. Um, so you started getting into porn and you had an agent and, um, I don't know what the business is like today, but I think that back then you could actually make like a lot of money in porn. Now I feel like the industry is so saturated. I don't know what it's like. Maybe you can educate me a bit more about that. Um, but yeah, I, f I feel like yeah, it's it's very uh, saturated now. The internet really has messed things up. I mean, they're doing things to kind of try to get it back to where it used to be. Just like with music, you know, there for a minute the music industry wasn't making anything, and now we have things like Apple Music and uh, other other streaming things that people actually pay, you know, a, a low monthly sum for that is, you know, giving that kickback finally again to the artists. Um, but yeah, back, you know, I was right at the begin, well, not beginning, beginning of internet, but you know, when people prevalently mm -hmm. use the internet so often, and um, so I was like right in that and then the phase out of DVDs, like I was right there. And so it, it was really great. And, but also I didn't realize how much more I made than other girls until quite a few years later, I was in my agent's house and I was downstairs with someone doing an interview with me. And he was like, well, about how much, you know, does the average porn star make? And I said a number and my agent yelled down from upstairs and he's like, no, they don't. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, they don't. Well, what do they make? And he told me, and after the interviewer left, I went and talked to him and I said, why would any girl even do this for that amount of money? Like, yeah. it's only worth it to me if you're making, you know, yeah. like a lot, a lot of money. Like, other than that, just go work a 40 hour a week job. And then he pointed out a sad truth to me that a lot of the girls are working <clears throat> 40 hour a week jobs and doing porn they, on the side. And they sadly, like, you know, I stayed at the modeling house and I would help clean after the models would leave. And under the bed, I'd find needles mm. in the in the bathroom cupboard. I would find, you know, the little alcohol bottles. They would just mm. I mean, one time I opened the cupboard and they just all fell out, you know. So these girls are dealing with their own things. And a saying that I have is that not every girl that had a bad childhood goes into, goes porn. into porn, but every girl yeah. in porn 
had a bad childhood <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get crap for it. I know I am. I keep mm. saying it like it's, it's my new saying in the last six months and I haven't gotten anything from it yet from a girl, but I think I'm bound to hear it at some point. Um, because especially active girls, it's not a good look at all to, you know, like it's not sexy to be coming from, you know, something bad. I lied like crazy about my childhood while I was in the industry. I'm like, Oh yeah, everything was great. I was a cheerleader. You know, it depended on the day. Like I just yeah. made up what, whatever I thought would be the most appealing past people, to have. A lot of people might not be open to even diving into their past. I know that I personally wasn't until a couple of years into my sobriety. I had a lot of severe childhood sexual abuse and trauma, and I wasn't really willing to do that work until I was ready to do that work. And so um, I think I think there's a number of things going on here. First of all, I think that it's and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. There's no like human rights division in porn. Like I, there's no one that's like got these girls backs and is like advocating for you know, their the best treatment and the best practices and fair pay and things like that. Is there there's no regulating body? There isn't. And you know, it's really a shame because you look at athletes and you look at certain people from the music industry, certain rappers, what have you. And it's like, we all come from similar backgrounds, you know, like there, there could be several athletes that their only way out of a certain lifestyle was, you know, to be, to, to work really hard at their sport yeah. and become an athlete. Mm -hmm. And then you hear rappers, they talk about it straight up in their songs, you know, mm -hmm. what they come from and then what they were able to get to, but yet they somehow still have this force of people behind them that are helping them manage their money. Okay, this is what you're going to do with it. This is what you're going to invest in. These are your protections that you have. Here's your team of lawyers and this and that. And you don't have any of that in a porn industry. You don't and you don't have royalties, especially, which is my biggest qualm with the industry is that and it's the biggest reason that girls stay in. You see a girl in at 40 years old and people are like, oh, she must just really love it. It's like, no, th no, she, she has just, to keep working. Not, yeah, she has to keep working. Like, yeah. what else is she going to do yeah. at this point? And, you know, so it's like there, there's not really and I hate it when girls quit porn and then people call it retirement. It's like, no, retirement would mean that you have enough that money, you have enough money to, to go and retire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So That's it's, you know, crazy. interesting to me. Yeah. Um. Can I ask you what your relationship is like with your parents now, if they're still around or, or what it was like during those years where you kind of just finally moved out and, and you know, came to California and, and decided to join in, in porn? I, the entire time I was in the industry, I still lived in Indiana. I just mm -hmm. flew back and forth. I was not at all interested in the Los Angeles lifestyle, clubs, any of that. I was still very much like, I love Indiana. I want to be here. My grandmother was still alive and she, uh, raised me in the summers and on the weekends I was dropped off with her thank goodness for that because like she was amazing so I wanted to be close to her um my parents when they found out they of course didn't care um my I never met my biological dad my um adoptive dad 
he is still alive. Um, we are on good terms now. We're fine. Um, he was very much passive as you know, my, and also not, not only passive, but also a victim to my mother the whole time Mm -hmm. I was growing up. And I'm sure that he felt like he didn't have as much of a say because I wasn't his biological daughter. Um, it's, it's so difficult, you know, like I look back And as an adult now, as a 32-year-old, I say, like, how could you let that happen? But at the same time, it was so gradual how the sicker she got, the more convoluted things became. She was constantly accusing him of sexually abusing me, which he never did. And so it got to the point where he wouldn't even look at me or acknowledge me. And this is right when I'm starting puberty, right when I feel a little girl needs their daddy the most. Yeah. And so, uh, but up until that point, him and I were very close. He was the type Mm -hmm. of father that read to me every night. Um, He always encouraged me to draw and we would make like little comic books together. We would sing songs in the car. Like he was an excellent father until, and I think that's her sickness it just made her so jealous and envious of any happiness around her. Yeah. I really yes. understand it. My husband's mother was, she was schizophrenic and had um, issues like that. And, uh, and not, not like that, but she, she would go into these mania, very um, paranoid type of episodes. And, and it's brutal because it's not at all based in, in reality. And you guys were just trying to, you know, survive amidst the chaos, kind of. You know, I I can't describe it any other, um, any other way. You know, uh, it is it's surviving in the chaos, and he yeah. shut down to try to survive, and you did the same. And you know, and I I understand your your what people. I hate behavioral modification. People think that a lot of the time when these kids are acting out that it's a behavior problem. It's like, no, they're probably traumatized and they're, this is their cry for help. And how come nobody's doing anything about it? It's um, so upsetting to me. And it's so disturbing to think about because I, I don't think that people realize how bad juvenile detention centers are. Like, I don't know if they think like there's teddy bears in there and there's paintings on the wall, not the ones I was at, you know, it was pure jail. Like there, you know, and I mean, I I had a DUI in my adulthood when I was 25 and I went to that and I'm like, yeah, this is the same thing, you know, like it's it's no different. Um, If anything, you have more rights as an adult because you, when you're a kid, you don't know, what your rights are. You don't know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I could tell on them for this or that, you know, like you don't think about that. It's an authority figure and you just listen to them and they take advantage of the fact that, you know, they know that you don't know things. Wow. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I can't even imagine. I went, I spent a lot of time in jail too, and it was brutal. And I can't even imagine doing that as, as a child. Our system is just so ass backwards, the foster care system and even child protective services, you know, it's like, ugh, these kids and, 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 and it's so much of it is generational trauma and people not having resources and mental health issues. And, uh, the list can go on and on and on. Um, so, so you get into porn, you're living in Indiana, you're making a good amount of money, and you're finally feeling, I'm, I'm 
assuming like, okay, I've made it. This everything's good now. Um, and h- how long were you in active in the industry? Until I was 25. So about the end of 19 to 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then a year off in between. So if you go straight through about five years and if you take that year that I took off four years. Yeah. And what was that time period like, like for you? Did you, uh, I, I, so I'm also a sexual abuse survivor. And for me in my teen years, I did a lot of kind of like very risque exploring because I didn't really value, I didn't have any values associated with sex, right? Because I'd been taken advantage so many times by, by that point. So, um, I couldn't imagine, but I couldn't imagine at the same time getting into porn. I feel like I would have been like traumatized. Was that at all like difficult for you? Did that like, did it ever like bring any, like how is the industry? Is it really like that consensual and everyone's super respectful? The industry that I know and come from, because I know, you know, that documentary Hot Girls Wanted on Netflix, that was a very inaccurate depiction of what I went through. You know, it mm-hmm. was not professional. People were taking advantage of them. Yeah. There's drugs everywhere, all that. My my experience was nothing like that. I never saw um, any drugs on a porn set. I never saw any alcohol. Um, everyone was extremely professional. And I'm, I'm not, I would tell you, you know, yeah. like I have nothing, no reason no not hiding. to. Yeah. Um, and also a lot of people that like the camera guys, like the behind the scenes people, lighting, et cetera, they were from the mainstream industry <clears throat> and they would just use a fake name for the credits, for the rolling. <laughs> and when they just, they needed extra money. So yeah. it, it was funny, like, and especially, you know, the first few times you're on a set, it's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But then, you know, after the the hundredth time, it's like, what am I going to have for dinner? You know, it's all you're thinking about. You just, it's like any other job. You just want to yeah, go home. Yeah, you want to go home, you, be done. Yeah, you just can't wait for it to be over. You know, yeah. once you've seen, uh, you know, a hundred pair of boobs, you've seen them all. There's nothing left to it. But yeah, so it, it just became like that. It became very mechanical. Um, I did start after about the first year, I had a lot of fun. And then after the first year, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. But mm. the money just kept getting higher and higher. I kept gaining even more popularity. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, I would not want to go to set, um, but I would go begrudgingly. And I'd get there and I'd sit in the makeup and I'd do my pictures and I still didn't want to do it. Still, no one knew this, of course. You know, I have a smile on my face. And then we're getting ready to start the scene. And I just tell myself, you know, it, it's like, just don't think about it. You know, just try to just tur- turn on the Brie mode and just go for it. And I and that's what I would do. And I realized I'm like, I'm like kind of like raping myself by doing this. Like it's it's not a good feeling. And I I cried only one time, which I'm proud of, but also not proud of because like, it's not good to hold that stuff in. Um, But there was one time that I cried. And of course the male talent was like horrified, you know, he's like, Oh my God, like, Like, are you okay? What did I do? Yeah. And he's like trying to console me. And then he didn't want to touch me. And he's like, I don't think we should do this. You guys. And they're like, well, you know, they, they, uh, there's so many people 
<clears throat> that are on to a that come onto a set, you know, and they schedule out for the location, all the people that they hired that day. I mean, you name mm. it. So if you don't show up that day, so many, they're not, you're not, you're not out of money, but all those other people are out of money and messes with your reputation. So even if there's a day that you're not in the mood, you have to go do it anyway. And I don't think pe people think about that. Like the guys, the fans that watch this, or like if you're on your period, Porn doesn't stop for a period. You still have to go work and, you know, there's solutions to not fun solutions to help with that and make sure that nothing happens during a scene. Um, so, yeah, it's like no matter what you have to show up. And so is that kind of why you decided that you're done? You wanted to leave the industry? No, no. <laughs> even with all of that, no, because, okay, like, like we were talking about my childhood. Okay. We didn't get like super in depth with details, but the porn life was still a thousand million times better than what I had come from. So, you know, I, I just, that's all I had to go off of was those two things. Okay. I have my really terrible childhood and then I have porn and it's like, eh, it's, it's only bad. Like, I don't know, 5% of my life is where my childhood was like bad 100%. all my waking hours yes. of my life. <laughs> yes. So um, I'm like, okay. So I kept doing it. But then I dated a very famous actor, yeah. da, 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 da. And my, I became in the spotlight for the first time because up until that point, even though I was shooting pornography, I still led a very private life. Yeah, you life. could go out and no, no one's going to go, oh, hey, saw you in that porn. Like, you know what I mean? I I, I can totally see how it, it, it that rocketed you in a very unfair way, too. Because the, the truth is that that whole situation really ha didn't have much to do with you and had so much. And I talk about the way media portrays women all the time and it pisses me off because sure it was about him and his mania and meltdown but they were dragging you guys down with him as part of the spectacle and yeah so you were kind of catapulted into this in a way that I'm sure you were not at all prepared for and had no idea what was coming I mean, no idea whatsoever, you know, and I, uh, up until that point, I led a very quiet life in Indiana. I would go to LA for, you know, two weeks, maybe three, and then I'd come back home for two weeks or so forth and just hang out with my close knit group of friends. I had them and my grandma, and that was all I needed in my life. And everyone knew what I did. I was open. Everything was okay. But then when it got open, world, it was the first time that I heard what people thought about me. Mm. And there was a reporter, there, there were quite a few, but this one reporter in particular that I had grown up watching, like ever since I was a child, I saw her on TV and I heard the words come out of her mouth that I'm not fit to be around children because of what I do for a living. So 
I stupidly left the industry making so much money in the height of my career because I wanted to change people's minds about who I was. Mm. And now I realize that's not how it works. Yeah, you're never going to change anyone's mind. No, people, yeah, they keep the same perception. Yes. <laughs> whether you're in it or not anymore it's, it doesn't change so I, I wish I wouldn't have left honestly I, because mm. the money was great and I was already doing it and a few more years would have really helped me out yeah yeah and um, and that led to so much more trauma too I'm sure because it, it, the narrative was that you know you either contributed to or were a part of his demise at that time, which I hate because it's like, why are we blaming women for like his shitty shit going on right now? Like this and has nothing was to do crazy. with you guys at yeah, all. Yeah, that was crazy to me because I he had so many yes men around him. Of mm. course, I do not want my boyfriend that was at the time the most successful, highest paid actor on television to have a meltdown and go off on the writer and producer. Like that would of course be the last thing that I would want to happen. Yeah. Like there's no way I would want that for him. Um I only even agreed to ever move in with him because he had got a sober coach. Like I even came over to meet the sober coach before I moved in because I wanted to be sure, you know, like, is this a situation I want to be a part of? And then within a week, he just went off the deep end. And then I was there, you know, already like I'm like, you know, it took him months to talk me into moving in. And then within a week after all those months of like, I'm sober now, everything's chill, everything's great. And then it all went down. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. And the reason that I stayed as long as I did is because I kept trying to help him. And once I realized he wasn't going to listen to me, that's when I left. Yeah. And I think so many people just they don't they're not informed. They're not professionals. You don't know what to do in these situations. And you really love I can see and I know because I've dated people who are in this industry and higher ups and stuff like that that have substance issues and you fall in love with them because they are outgoing and funny and have a beautiful personality and as addicts a lot of us usually do we're just also really broken and so and and most of the time dealing with mental health stuff and so you just kind of got I mean talk about bad timing bad place bad timing you know what oh I mean God. like you yes. just got thrown into that situation in a way that was uh, just in my opinion completely unfair the way that the media portrayed you um and and the and the and and what ended up happening was this person I don't know if we can say the name or not, but um, came out as HIV positive, I'm assuming, after you guys broke up. And I remember watching you doing this. It was either E! News or one of these exclusives, Access Hollywood, where you were like, I had no idea. And I remember thinking, I cannot even imagine. Because not only has your name been thrown in the dirt just by being associated with the whole meltdown, but now it's like, does she have HIV because she was with him? And it, oh my gosh, I can't yeah. even imagine. 
I honestly, so, my heart like broke for you because I was like, this is not fair because I'm so against like slut shaming and shaming people in the porn industry. I have no problem with it. If you are a willing participant, participant, fine. Um, you know, and obviously that Netflix documentary, I haven't seen it. And so I don't know those people's experiences and I don't want to say that, you know, I don't think maybe every experience is like that, but if some of them are, then, you know, there should be some sort of regulating body that has the, um, the actors and actresses in, you know, best interest. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 100% what happened in that documentary happened. There's no denying that. Like it showed everything for what it was, but I mean, they were with like some like really low ball scum agent down in Florida. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's not where the industry is, you know, like the industry is in Los Angeles, just like, you know, most of the acting Mm -hmm. industry and et cetera, you know? So, I mean, but of course the girls don't know that, you know, they, they're They're so so young. They're like, yeah. And then they don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of people don't have your best interest. And I, there was so many modeling gigs that I wanted to as a young girl that were super sketchy and so dangerous even here in LA so it it's definitely definitely happening um but I want to get into that like so the media had portrayed you guys in a certain light which I think was really unfair and then that news came out and it became even worse let me tell you about that. Okay. So I had just, so after I left the industry is when I weirdly decided to move to LA. So after mm-hmm. the industry, after Charlie, we can say his name is fine. Okay. After him, I didn't I, know if you had like uh, an NDA or something. I'm like, I'm not trying to get you sued, girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> girl. No, he tried. I said, uh-uh. oh, no. I'm like, I am your girlfriend. I'm like, I, what you don't trust yeah. me that I'm yeah. leaving. And he's yeah. like, no, no, no. Okay. Anyways. Um, so I'm like, yeah, right um so uh so I went I I just don't say it because I just like literally despise him that much Mm -hmm. it's just purely out of that but I can talk about whatever I want um so after him I moved out to LA I was like okay I feel like the most natural transition which some people would laugh at this is to go into mainstream acting because uh, you know it's sets camera crews and you Anything know, is possible. Scripts. Look at our fucking president. I mean, if we can have <laughs> Donald Trump as president, then Brie Olson can become the next fucking superstar. Okay. You know, I mean, and I didn't even expect that, but you know, like I was yeah, hoping to whatever. make enough, Absolutely. you know, doing like uh, Absolutely. getting yeah like you you know like like a a side character on on a show hopefully long running or something like that I don't know but so I tried it quickly realized I am not passionate at all about acting um but I remained out there for quite some time just because you know I I realized how I'm very gay and so it was nice being in West Hollywood for that yeah and um then I was like, you know what? I really wish that I had a place to go back to so I could just quietly write my book because I want to write a book about my childhood traumas and, you know, the uh, lockup situation for children. And I just really want to open people's eyes. I had not finished the book yet, by the way. I just really want to open people's eyes on 
like I, I don't want them to think that these porn girls are coming from these perfect backgrounds and then choosing to throw their lives away. And I, I also want to open people's eyes about what children go through in the lockup system and like yeah. how how crazy it really is, because I don't think people a lot, the majority realize that. And um, so I was like, oh, OK, well, I still have my beautiful custom built house back in Indiana. I'll just go back there. That'll be perfect. I sat down to start writing my book. I was literally two paragraphs in. I started getting phone calls from, you know, 2020, TMZ, ABC, you name it, saying, is it true that Charlie Sheen is HIV? And I'm like, uh, I like the first couple, I was like, no, you know, like, I don't know. Like, that's that's crazy. And then, but then after like the 20th phone call, you know, because of course all these people right had my number from that whole time. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, oh crap. I'm like, I have to get ahead of this. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, there is no one I trust more than Howard Stern. And he is a great interviewer. He, he gives a, he, mm -hmm. yes, he's really good. And he doesn't edit. It's, it's an unedited interview, so no one can twist my words and make it this or that. And I'm like, I want to go on Howard. So I called Howard and I said, hey, can I come in and talk to you? And like all these other people were trying to pull from my story. I ended up doing one other one out there just because I was already in New York. And I just wanted to make sure as many people heard I was negative as possible. Um, oh, another thing is that I had just started webcamming. So, you know, working from home, not having to have sex with anyone else. And it was really great. I was making even more money than I had made in the adult industry. And of course, that all came crashing down instantly. Like, even though I proved I did not have HIV, just being associated with that is not a sexy thing. So, you know, it just... I took such a hit on that. And, you know, I went and I showed my results publicly and I still, it was so terrible it, that what I was going through, I couldn't get on any of my social media without seeing people say, bitch, you should die. I can't believe you gave Charlie Sheen AIDS. Mm -hmm. You fucking whore. I can't believe you did this to Charlie. And it's like, it's no, it's the other way around. Like I started thinking back about everything and I'm like, oh my gosh, he was taking these shots in his stomach, these steroid shots. And I looked up what's the most common thing that people take steroids for. And it's the beginning treatment of HIV. And I'm like, oh my, like it all started to come together. I like, can't all even of imagine the betrayal of it it, it it was crazy it was crazy and so then you know he had not I, I was trying to get ahead of his interview well then as I'm walking into the Howard Stern building I am watching on my phone as he's doing the interview and when he said that he was positive and he said that he found out he tested positive while on tour and I was on that tour so I'm like Okay. I'm like, so he's fudging the timeline by a little bit. And because he was already on those steroid shots, which he had told me that he just wanted more energy. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm really dumb. Um, so, but luckily, I mean, I, I came out physically unscathed from it. And also, I'd like to say, you know, I, being part of the LGBTQ community, I have friends that are HIV positive. I have no qualms or anything. I love everyone, HIV positive or not, AIDS, what have you. But 
having sex with someone when you're HIV positive or you have AIDS and not telling them is such an atrocious thing to do to someone. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's almost something that I feel like you should be criminally charged for because you're affecting somebody's life and livelihood potential and the span of their life. And if you know, then that is just, it's so not okay. It's so and, not okay. Yeah. And he could, he, he could have been charged. And I had, I forget her name, but it's a really big hitter attorney in LA and she's very public about her cases. Gloria Allred. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Her. Um, she, yeah, she hit me up and several times and she's like, we got this in the bag. Let's go through with it. And, you know, I mean, I knew it would have been at least a cool mill, but I was so, I, I literally had a mental breakdown from all of the stress of everything. Like, Every everything at that point, I could not take it anymore. And I went and checked myself into a rehab clinic in Arizona just to get away from the media. And then after that, that was only 45 days. And I'm like, nope, still not enough time has passed. Like, I need this to be out of the news cycle by the time I leave here. Then I went to a place for three months in L.A. after that. Um, and then I came back and it had cooled off. It still took about another year but it cooled off yeah and this is what i mean when i'm talking about like your resilience like there's something to be said about that i mean because the things that you have been through in life and i had a feeling that it was more than just this crazy story which is why i wanted to interview you because everyone's heard that story everyone heard that howard stern interview everyone heard knew about that time period but your story is so much more than that and it, and it has so much substance, and I encourage you to keep writing that book um, because so many people will indeed benefit from that. Um, and so I'm sure you went to treatment and you learned coping skills and did therapy and all of that stuff, and I'm sure that that's benefited you in your life in the long run. What does your life look like today? Uh, back in the adult industry to some degree, I am on, uh, a, like basically like a Snapchat premium account where, you know, people pay a membership fee in exchange for me posting like very sexy things. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm doing now for work. And, um, Do you enjoy doing that? Does it, are you back to like that first year where you're like, I really like this? Does this, does this feel good to you? Or does it feel like <laughs> I just have to have a life and this is my income now? Um, I think it's, you know, I mean, I don't, both camming and the Snapchat thing, I don't dislike it. Like I would definitely I would definitely hate going and working like at Lowe's more than yeah. I would this, you yeah. know, like, yeah. like so, so like <laughs> if I'm like choosing here, you know, and of course the money is also much different. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, in terms of that and also that I don't have to be with anyone else. So that is like really frees up my spirit in that way, you know? Yeah. And if there's a day where I don't feel like, you know, and I don't know how graphic I can, if I don't feel like insertion, I can just do like sexy dancing, you know, yeah. like I don't have to show up and do a very specific thing on a certain day with someone else. Yeah. So that is a lot of freedom to be said in that. 
coming from the actual porn career itself, you know, like to an average girl that may not sound too great still. But for me, I don't know. I like having sex with myself sometimes. And sometimes (laughs) I would feel like sexy dancing. And sometimes I would feel like (laughs) insertion. So (laughs) and hell, you're making a good living from it. So, you know, and as long as it's something that you enjoy doing, and I like the fact that and I'm assuming that you're in control of this, you get to choose when you work, you get to choose when you don't you can take a, you know take someone's webcam or you know what i mean like you can choose your audience and you have control and i that sounds a lot better to me than you know the alternative right yeah it yeah. is it is yeah and, and i you're am in a relationship now i saw which is great how long have you been in that relationship for Kayla and I have been together for two years. Yeah. Great. That makes me so happy. I just love Thank to you. see people who, like I said, just turn their turn their story around. You know what I mean? And take their lives back and take their power back. And I think that that's, it's just so imp- impressive to me that you've been able to do that. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. Um, you too. No, <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Um, so where, I guess my last question would be like, where do you see yourself in like 10 years? Well, I've started to have a lot of health problems. I have got this like autoimmune disease that makes me really sick when I eat, Mm. which sucks because like I eat a lot like every day um so it's it's really hard um the only time I don't get sick is if I'm on a pure liquid diet which just isn't realistic um so I'm on I guess I'm allergic to like histamine and like all this crazy like stuff so I'm on like all these old people supplements that I have to take like I don't know 30 different vitamins a day but they really do help I still don't feel back to where I was but it's, you know, it, it's a work in progress. So anyways, with that, just like my whole body is breaking down. Like I found out that I have endometriosis, which, mm. you know, can be very dangerous for, you know, having a child and this and that. And it really scared me because up until I heard that news, I was like on the fence of having a child or not. And as soon as I heard that, you know how those kind of things go. As soon as I heard it, I was like, Oh my gosh, I do want a baby. Like, oh my, yeah. this, like I was crying. I was devastated. Like it really brought out in me how much I really do want that for myself. Yeah. So anyways, long story long, I hope that I have a child in the next five years or so. As soon as I start feeling better and we get everything all back figured out again and I'm back to like climbing mountains, then I know I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that you're dealing with autoimmune stuff. I also am dealing with autoimmune stuff right now. It's the worst. And it's like, why are all the women getting it? It's so much more prone to women. I think it's stress. There is an amazing book by Dr. Gabor Mate called When the Body Says No. And it talks about how MS and autoimmune stuff is chronic stress in the body. And how it transpires into literally the body attacking itself. It makes total sense to me. I mean, we are living in a time now that you know the the me too movement is only a start you know what i mean it's only the beginning and i think that there's been generations and generations of women and oppression and uh, so much trauma and 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 it's still happening today um and something 
sorry, Go something ahead. interesting yeah. that I wanted to share with you is I one of those re- a really great therapists that I had in LA. I was telling her about it's really crazy how my grandmother, she was a Holocaust survivor mm. and both of her daughters turned out to be schizophrenic. My grandma was sweet as pie, like the, just an angelic woman. And both of her daughters, her only two, are both literally like diagnosed schizophrenic. schizophrenic. And she told me that they had set up a hotline for Holocaust survivors. And over 90% of their phone calls were children calling in. They're their children calling in for mental health issues. And that it can literally be passed down yeah, in like a genetic Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, generational trauma. It's it is very very real, and I'm doing my very best to break that cycle. I have two daughters, and I am doing my very 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 best to break that cycle right now. And I'm sure you will do the same. And I am just so grateful to have you on, Bree. I wish you nothing but the best and I really appreciate you trusting me enough to do this interview um I think that my community is going to gain so much from hearing your story and can you let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to follow along Sure. Um, I am. I, I think Instagram would be my best one, which is just Brie Olson. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Oh, that was awesome, Brie. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can keep in touch. And when this is about to come out, I will um, send you an email in case you want to share it. I don't know if you do or not. Um, but (laughs) again, I really appreciate you. Uh, You know, I know how hard it is. I, when I first started, um, coming back into the media space after I, I ended up going to rehab at 19, I got sober and that was eight years ago. Um, and, I have been so cautious and so selective of who I do interview with views with because some people just are so set in their ways and have just such a clear picture of who I am and aren't willing to listen to anything I have to say that doesn't fit within their narrative. So yeah, it's probably not easy to, you know, just trust some random stranger that's like, I really want to interview you. <laughs> You know, I've been told that I've never met a stranger. So Mm. I think that helps. Uh, Dr. Drew told me something kind of similar to what you just said. He said, I have, you know, because he, he, they used to have a lot of porn stars on the show he used to be on. And he said, you, I, you are my favorite because you don't get defensive when I, you know, bring things up or try to talk about things. You just are, it is what it is. Yeah. You're authentic. (laughs) And, and that's what I, the feeling I got from you is, and that's what I love about you is that you're just, you are, you're unapologetically you. And I love that. I love that. And there's no shame and there's just – and maybe there is. I don't know. But it, it just it doesn't come off as that. It's like, hey, this is my story and I'm a great person anyways. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Love that. Thank you. Um, you have such a soothing, like, good therapy voice. Oh, like, I feel like you should, like, do sessions or something. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I do work as a drug and alcohol counselor. We own a drug rehab. 
And so I do. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brie. And I hope we can keep in touch. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. This week's affirmation is every experience in my life helps me grow. And so it is. If you guys liked this episode, do me a solid head over to the podcast app and make sure that you are subscribed to Recovering From Reality. Not just subscribed, but give me five stars if you really liked it. Comment, make a review. I really appreciate it. And if you're listening on your phone, you could even screenshot a picture of you listening and tag me up on Instagram and I'll do my best to share it within the community. So thanks for listening, you guys. And I hope you loved this episode. Mm -hmm.